Father, that is our prayer. It's our heart, our determination that from all that we do, God alone, we're not enough. But when you enter the picture, when you fill our lives, when you touch us, it's everything. It's not a thing, it's everything. Thank you that you want to fill our lives. Thank you that you want to touch us. Thank you, God, that you enjoy being with us, Lord. We just say the spirit and bride together, come on. We welcome you, we love you, we bless you. Yes, we're not enough, but with you, we're more than enough. And I bless the name of Jesus, amen, amen. All right, wow, so good to be able to worship together and be together. And I'm gonna say one more time, I know you feel what, what I feel. I know you are experiencing what I'm experiencing um, to be able to be together again. Uh, I, I think we've become somewhat screen weary. Uh, our lives have transitioned so much now to looking at a screen and taking in life and experiencing life through a screen. And I know um, it's just like what uh, the Lord's observation was with Adam, that all of these things, they were good, but it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And uh, even though he had all of nature around him and uh, his work to occupy him, to give him meaning, it wasn't enough. God created us to be together and there's such a wonderful, powerful, incredibly fulfilling peace when, when we meet together as the body of Christ. And that, maybe this scripture now makes more sense than at any other time when we're encouraged to not forget, to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together as a body. There's a reason for that because it's not good for us to simply worship alone or to simply um, pursue God through a screen. While it's fine, it's not complete. He calls us together. And man, I long for that moment coming soon when we'll be able to be together in worship and in teaching and fellowship is coming. Don't, uh, don't lose your hope on that. Well, I want to welcome you uh, this weekend. So glad that you are joining us. Um, I, I, something new that we're going to do focus on going forward now as a church. I think that we have dealt with um, the, the coronavirus as, um, as a message, how to handle the days that we're in as a message. At this point, it's, it's enough. And I want to begin returning to, um, to a forward position in our church. So let me explain real quickly what I'm going to be teaching on for the next couple of weeks why I think that you'll enjoy it and why I believe with all of my heart this is God's timing for this message. Uh, all the way back in January, um, our staff, uh, the, the, um, the senior leadership team had broken away for a couple of days to, to retreat together to seek God's face and direction for 2020 um, and, and even forward from that, 2021, 2022. But 2020 in particular, just seeking God's direction for what he had for our church. And while we were away, uh, there were things that God specifically spoke to us as a group. It wasn't just me and it wasn't just Chris that, um, that had these things in our heart. As a group, God spoke to us. But one of the, one of the primary things, and for those who attend Jubilee, 
um, longer than the last 30 or 60 days through the video. You know this to be true, that when we came back from that retreat in late January and early February, we had led a fast. The staff was fasting, and we were fasting specifically, if you remember, for breakthrough for our church. And little did we know that one week later, after that fast was over, one week later, literally, the world would change. Uh, North America would change. Uh, suddenly, we're dealing with coronavirus as it began to creep in, and it got bigger and bigger, and suddenly, uh, you know, our, our, our church, all churches are unable to meet as we were accustomed to, and it was changing everything. And my first response to that was, Lord, how could this catch us by surprise? And, and the Lord reminded me instantly, it, it didn't surprise me, and I prepared you and had you prepare your church. You were fasting and praying for them for breakthrough. And I believe that one of the things that has allowed us to move forward and not be decimated in this time, that God's been able to use what was meant for evil and to do good is that there was a preparation in our body to be able to handle this, this time. It was just amazing, and I, I'm so grateful for that, right? But then here, here was a specific that came with that time. There was a message that God had given to us. One of the areas of breakthrough that I felt like we had needed to teach on and needed to see a breakthrough for a long period of time was in the area of finance. Now, when I say that, let me uh, immediately, I know this. Whenever I preach on money, people get nervous. And I think that that's true just across the body. And I understand it. The church at large, not Jubilee, but the church at large has a checkered past when it comes to money, right? We're all aware of a situation where, where that's been abused in some way or it's been manipulated or misused in some way. But, but here's what's interesting. Listen to this. Um, do you know that probably the number one thing, and I, I'm being gracious, in my opinion, it is the number one thing, but I'll say probably, the, 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 probably the number one thing that when people come to talk to us, that they want to talk to us about has to do with finances. Oftentimes when we have marriage counseling, it's because a couple is struggling in finances. In fact, do you know what the number one cause of divorce is? Marriage. No, uh, it, it's, uh, some of you got that. Sorry. I, I, I'm still me. Um, so here's, here's the thought here that when people struggle, oftentimes, uh, of course, they'll say, I struggle in my marriage. Uh, I struggle in my business. I, I struggle in my relationship with God. But oftentimes, a root issue of that is money has to play in that. Um, I heard a person misquote uh, a scripture recently when it came to, came to money. They said that the root of all evil is money. Um, do you believe that? Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. When, when, when money has you and you don't have money, um, it, when, when you make money God, uh, you cannot have the spirit of mammon. Jesus called it the spirit of money, of finance, and God both occupy the throne. There can only be one Lord of your life. And for, for so many of us, money, finances, uh, it competes for that lordship issue in our life. And quite honestly, um, finances are, if we downplay it and we say, well, it's not important, 
that's not true. If we overplay it and say it's the number one thing, that's not true. You wanna know a good way to understand money? Um, money, money can add uh, it can add value. It can add purpose to your life. Money, uh, a good way to look at it, I wrote it this way. Um, if money were to talk to you, money would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. And that's a good way to begin to look at this. So as we, we move into this, um, this new series, and we're gonna talk about the things that have to do uh, with this area of our life, um, I, I, I just want you to understand, I'm not... The text of this message, the context of this message is not that I need you to, to give something to me. I, I, I don't need you to, um, to do something for me. I think that there's a breakthrough in this area that God wants to do for us, for us. So I, I want you to get the heart behind this as I, as I go into this. Now, this first message, real quickly, I'll be pretty broad with it, have a little fun with it, and then over the next couple of weeks, we'll go a little more specific. Um, so before you just say, well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that I need to hear that message, so open your heart and open your mind, open your life. Jesus had a lot to say about this subject, and so I, I just want to move us forward. So um, let, me, let me begin with this. Um, talking about money is one of those funny things in life. When I was a kid, I remember being told uh, that the, the three things to stay away from if you, want to, uh, if you want to be polite in conversation, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, and don't talk about money, those three things. Uh, but do you know that those three things are probably the big three that everybody deals with and that cause such division uh, and such trouble and such problems? And here's the bottom line. What we're unwilling to speak to uh, we give the enemy the right to define in people's lives. And so God has order in these things because these things can lead to a person um, uh, being able to, to find peace and to be able to find joy. They're not peace and joy, but they can bring and allow for your peace and your joy not to be troubled and disturbed, right? Right? So when we talk about money, it's one of those funny things. So I had Pastor JJ, um, at, before we, we find ourselves in the current situation of having to use uh, an online version. So you'll see in just a second, this was prior to that. This wasn't last week, it was uh, a few weeks ago. But I had JJ take a microphone and interview people coming out of church or coming into church about money. And I just want you to see how awkward it is when you begin and how funny it is when you begin to talk about money. So watch this real quick. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing great. I'm out here this morning interviewing people about finances, asking them some real hard-hitting questions about their personal finance. What could possibly go wrong? Hey, hey, yeah, you guys want to be interviewed? I just have some, a real basic question for one of you guys. Ready? Okay, nothing crazy, just for a video for church. How much do you make annually? Um, together, the two of us? <laughs> First of all, do you have any stock tips for us? Well, I am a financial planner. I found the right person, all right. So what would you say is the best stock tip for people that want to invest right now? Pokemon? <laughs> Pokemon. Invest in Pokemon. Honestly, probably not a bad idea, Noah. Okay? All right. Just ask you one real basic question. Okay. 
How much do you make a year? Uh, more than you. <laughs> Can I ask you one, one more just kind of softball question? For sure. How much do you make a year? $9,000. How much do you make at your job? Enough. Yeah, okay, okay. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> Tortillas and beans, I'm good. <laughs> Annually, how much do you make? Yes. A lot. Pizzas. All right. How much do you make a year? How much do you make, Steve, a year? Enough to give to the Lord first. I like that. All right. First of all, how are your stocks doing? Oh, not too good right now with the coronavirus. That's a fair assessment. Not good with that. Are you guys feeling more bullish or bearish in this market? Bullish. Bullish. Do you guys you guys know the difference? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> used to. Uh, so true. It's, it's funny and it's enjoyable and uh, we laugh at it, but it's true. It's one of those weird things that it's, it's difficult to talk about. And yet, if you think about it, it has such a profound influence on our life. Again, um, money can add meaning to your life, but it's not the meaning of life. And that's not semantics because if you get that wrong, it's everything right there. So this message is to help you balance that part right there. Find a breakthrough because on the right side of this issue is such joy and on the wrong side of this issue is slavery, to be honest with you. You'll be a slave to it if you don't get this right. So let me, um, let me do this. Take us in a particular direction today. Um, just, just make an assumption here that most of you who support our church uh, don't just support it with your attendance uh, you don't just support it with your prayers. You don't just support it with your, um, you, you know, with, with your involvement. I, I bet you also support it with your finances. Or this is true. I bet you wish you could support it with your finances, right? Either do or you wish you could if you're involved. If you're not involved with our church, if you don't appreciate this place, if this is not your home, then of course, you don't want to support it. But I, I just know this, if this is your home, if this is where you are fed and this is where, where you love to be, uh, then I bet you support it or you wish you could support it. So let me talk about that issue today uh, and make this a focus so that you understand uh, when it comes to giving here at Jubilee, what happens with your money? Do you just put it in one of those boxes and it just, it goes into the, the, the nether regions and who knows what happens to it. Something happens, but we're not sure. So let me, uh, it's not a hidden agenda with us. It's not something that we, we try to put below the surface. Uh, we're really pleased with what God has done here. When it comes to this, there's a principle here that we've tried to operate with. Uh, and it's the principle that has to do with doing it God's way and then being open about those things, not hiding those things. We don't have anything to hide, so we, we're, not, we're not trying to hide anything. So let me talk to you about what happens when you give it Jubilee. Uh, right off the bat, I don't know if you know this, and by the way, I'm not sure if this happens anyplace else. I cannot tell you what other churches do when it comes to finances. I can tell you what we do when it comes to finances. We want to be transparent with this. So when you give, 
Here, here's the very first thing that happens. When you give, it's divided into percentages. It's divided into percentages. And we have a simple formula that we felt like God gave us in order to operate from. This, uh, this formula would probably be a great formula for you to apply in your personal life. So I asked uh, Pastor Haley if she would put together a little chart here. So check this out. Pull that up for me, if you will. When you give at Jubilee, it's divided into percentages. There are three. And so let me break them down for you. 50% of everything you give goes into a general fund. Okay, what's a general fund? If you're unaware of the term, I think that you probably, most of you know, but a general fund is just that. It's the general, the main fund that we use to then pay all the things that you have to pay at home. We pay uh, the light bill through that. We pay the electric bill, the, the air conditioning through that. We pay for the grass to be cut. We pay for uh, the equipment that your children play on to be maintained, uh, the, the curriculum, the paper that we put notes on, um, all, all of the different things like that that you could think of, cleaning the building, uh, whatever. That falls under the general fund. And so 50% of everything that you give automatically is just put in that and we operate how we do what we do uh, as an ongoing methodology out of that 50% right there. Now let me make one exclusion to that so that you understand. Uh, this, this percentage is money that's undesignated. So when you give your tithe, right? And that's the first thing that you give before you designate other money. The tithe comes first. By the way, some people don't like that term. They think it's Old Testament, even though Jesus talked about the tithe. So let's use the word give because that clearly is New Testament to give. So when you give, if it's not designated, it's divided. What's designated money? When you give towards missions, when you give towards a project, when you give towards a camp, when you give towards a retreat. That's money that's designated. That is not divided. It goes to exactly that thing right there. But your giving, your tithe, uh, we take it and we divide it. And the first part is the general fund. The second part, uh, 40% is in our salaries fund, our salaries fund. Okay, what, what is salaries fund? It's just what it sounds like. That's how your pastors and your staff is uh, paid. That's, that's insurance. That's, that's the money that they use in order to uh, buy homes and buy groceries and uh, buy gas and uh, go on a vacation and put, uh, put some away, hopefully, for retirement. That's, that's what that is right there. It's exactly what it sounds like. And it's the way that we're able to take care of our staff. And then this little part, uh, it's, it's a smaller part but it's a very significant part, right? 10% of it, 50, 40, 10, 10% of it goes to missions. So, um, so when I said earlier that people will designate money to a missions project, that's not part of this. Whatever you give in your giving your tithe, that's undesignated, we divide it up 50, 40, 10. So we take 10% of all that you give and we give it right back away. And that doesn't include what is given for mission trips and what is given for missions projects. It's on top of all of that. So pastor, why designate such a large percentage? And by the way, what is the amount of money that that 10% works out to? So last year, Jubilee gave that 10% 
was a million dollars, a little bit more than a million dollars that we gave away uh, into mission projects, into taking care of different the orphans around the world, churches around the world, churches locally that need our help. There's a church just last week, uh, in the last week and a half, uh, a church in Lakewood by a pastor who is actually from Africa, who has been sent to America. Uh, and they were in a situation during the COVID where they were unable to broadcast their message and their church was in a precarious situation. And when we found out about it, we were asked could we help? And because of that 10% right there, we were able to come alongside this guy and Chris Lee, uh, one of the finest uh, men on our staff you could ever hope to meet. Uh, Chris and our, our, our department in, um, uh, in our tech uh, surrounded this guy and provided him with cameras and information so that he could record his message, upload it to the internet, uh, and then helped him to set up his online giving so that his church could keep going. So it's just little stories like that that we do all the time that I never have the time to talk about and let you know. But that's what we do with that 10% right there. And it lets us do so much. It lets us, and, and so here's, here's the beauty of that. Rather than having to come to you every week with a new project I need you to give to, doing it this way allows us to automatically, we've built it in, so that we could automatically do it. Now, if you go here and you're like, well, pastor, sometimes you do come though and you ask for money for a particular project. I can think of two big ones last year, a church that we helped out in uh, Austin, Texas uh, for about $100,000 to get established and get going. And by the way, that church is doing awesome right now. Just, just doing awesome. And then a, a project in Africa. They suffered two major category five storms last year wiping out a huge part of, of, uh, of Central Africa. And there's some missionaries we support there that, that just needed help with, with survival kits. And I brought that to you and you gave, um, I think it was $75,000 towards that. So you, pastor, why take up an offering for that? Because it goes far above that 10%. And those are things that we literally can save someone's life with or offer the bread of life with, right? And so it's just, it's that thing right there that allows us to do, to do extra. And I'm, I'm, I'm bragging a little bit, but I'm bragging about you and I'm bragging about what God does with you. Okay, so it's divided into percentages, 50, 40, 10. And I think that's just a basic understanding. Okay, how are funds spent then here at Jubilee? Who, who decides that? Uh, if, if we have a budget that's, you know, $4 million, a, a little more than that, what, how is that determined? How does that get spent? So here's what happened. Each department. So you have a worship department, you have a tech department, you have a missions department, you have a prayer department. Uh, think of all the different counseling, all the different things that we have in our church. Each one of those departments comes up with a budget that is submitted and then it's approved and they operate within that budget. Now there is a word that sticks in most people's throat, budget, ah, I don't like a budget. But a budget is just essentially it's planned spending. And if you can live within a budget, you give God something to work with in your life, 
It's just, we all have that line of the amount that we make. A budget keeps us below that line. If you don't have a budget, I bet this is true. You go above the line and you probably ask, how did this happen? Because you didn't plan. I think I can hear you say yuck from your house right now. Okay, Uh, so there is a monthly report then. All departments, right? All of their spending, every dollar in and every dollar out is put together in a monthly report that the board at Jubilee made up of members, okay? Members of Jubilee, they are part of the board and the board's responsibility is fiduciary. Their job only is not to set the spiritual direction of the church, to decide the messages of the church, to decide uh, where the church is going to go and what it's going to do. Their job is just simply to approve and to be aware and to, to help administrate the finances. It, that way, there's no question about, hey, the pastors have all this money and they're the only ones making the decision. It's actually approved uh, by a, a board of directors who are part of uh, the membership of this church. So we do that monthly. There's a financial report that's every dollar in and every dollar out produced monthly. And then that once a year is turned into a yearly report. Now, this is gonna shock some of you, but we actually do a once a year whole church meeting called an annual business meeting. And some of you are like, is he talking in tongues right now? What does that mean? We announce it every year. We invite the entire church. And at that meeting, we read uh, what happened with the finances in the church. And then we vote on the approval of those things. Now, here's what I know. The reason that so many of you aren't even aware of that or have never attended it, here's what I know. When, when you trust what we're doing and when we have over 22 years proven that we do right, there, there's not a lot of reason, right? To, to, you trust because we've earned that trust. And generally speaking, it's when there's not trust that you have a lot of people who have, hey, what's going on with this and what's going on with that? And, and thank God and bless God and uh, God willing, it will always be that way right there. But here's what we do then for people who can't make that meeting or um, whatever. We then take that yearly report and we actually put it on our website so that at any time you can go, you can go to the website and you can see where the money's been spent. You can see what's been put into salaries. You can see what's been put into the general fund, what's been put into missions. Uh, it, the annual report is on our website. So if you go there right now and you look, you're gonna find 2019 on there. 2019, I'm sorry, 2018 is on there. The 2019 is done, but the annual business meeting was going to be in March. What happened in March? A little thing called COVID-19 that has kept us from being able to have the annual business meeting. And until it is ratified and approved by the church, I cannot submit it onto the document as a done. So we still have 2018 up there, but 2019 will go on there as soon as we're able to approve it. Okay, let me move into something that's a little more like uh, what happens with your money. Let's talk about salaries. That's always the one that people are, they'd love to know. I, I don't know why a pastor's salary is so interesting 
uh, to people. If, if you were ever asked, just like JJ, how much do you make? It's a, nobody wants to talk about that, but everybody wants to know what, what the pastors make. So the, the rule of thumb is we try to keep our pastors right in line with where the average in our church is. We don't wanna underpay them. We don't wanna to, to give them more so that they live way up here above. We wanna put them right in the average. Now, this, this is true, think about this. We live in a community, or at least our church is located in a community, and I'm thankful for this community. Uh, Lone Tree Highlands Ranch has a very high per capita amount of money that people that live here make. And so in many cases, we cannot, um, we cannot pay an average of what, what it is here in Lone Tree. So what does that, that mean? That means that most of our pastors um, do not live here in Lone Tree. Most of them do not live here in Highlands Ranch. Most of them live in the outlying areas, Inglewood, Aurora, Castle Rock, um, Parker. They, they come from some of those areas because it's a little more affordable. The only reason I'm pointing that out to you is if I make the statement, we try to do the average of what our church is. Uh, yes, that's true, but it's the church as a whole, not just the church here in, in Lone Tree. Does that, does that make sense right there? Okay, so this is important. When it comes to salaries, how, who, who sets that? Pastor, do you decide what, what Pastor Donnie and Camille make? Pastor, do you decide what, what uh, Pastor Terry makes? No. I wish that I could. To be honest with you, uh, I can't pay Donnie and Camille what they're worth. Uh, $10 million. We don't have that much, and that's what I'd give them if I could give it to them. Terry, there's, there's no value that I can put on Pastor Terry. He's worth more than what we would be able to pay. These people love God, love me, love our church. And that's why they're willing to, to, to stay here and commit to being here. And I, we take care of them, but we can't pay them anywhere near what their actual uh, value is. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, uh, yeah, that, I, yeah. Okay. So how then who sets their salary? The board does not pastor John, not pastor Chris, uh, the pastors don't set their own salary. Although pastors, would you love to be able to, to do that? Right? Like, Hey, Mariah, how much would you like to make? And then you submit your own amount on that, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Um, it, it just, we can't obviously do that. It would be such an unethical thing. So I don't set my salary and I don't set any pastor salary in this church, any staff salary. It's done by the board. So how does the board do that? It's based on two things. There's actually publications of what churches in similar communities, similar size, over a similar length of time, taking into account education and experience, all of those things, they actually give uh, numbers, ranges of numbers, high, uh, medium, and low. And then we look at that and we base it on our community and then the length of time that a person has been here and what they're doing, right? Uh, so that's, that's how we do that. That's how the board determines that right there. And uh, at times, to be honest with you, um, when we need to bring someone on, there may not be an ability for us to say, hey, they've got the length of time. And so if we need them and we feel like God said this, we may forego that. Um, the board may say, hey, we just, we need to do this. Now, where does the board get that idea from? Like th the board doesn't decide who gets hired. It's my job. It's Chris's job. Our, our staff will talk about that and decide that. But the board's job is to determine 
how they're getting paid. So why am I even taking the time to tell you this? Because it's such a mystery for so many people. And if I'm going to talk about your giving and a breakthrough in this area and you being able to trust God, I just want you to understand how things work here at, at the church. Okay. Why so much to missions? Why do we give a million dollars? Why do we give so much to missions? Here's the principle, and this is the principle that you want to get in your own personal finances. Listen to this. The principle of giving and the desire for the supernatural is why we give 10% to missions. We want, if we're asking people to give, then we need to set the standard by the pastors give, just so that you know, pastors give just like you give, and the church gives, because we want that to be the standard. Generosity is what we wanna be known for, responsibility and generosity. But we want the supernatural in our church, and this is what I know to be true. I've worked at, at, at several churches before coming to pastor and plant our church. When a church gets this principle, in effect, supernatural things happen left and right. God is able to bless that church. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a church that he can use it, it, in his hand and he can direct them. But this is true. Listen to this statement right here. It's very important. Whenever a church gets into a, a position where uh, the finances get choked off because a board decides that they, they want to run it and not let the pastors lead the church, or a group of people decide, hey, we, we don't want to do, we don't believe that the pastors uh, should be the ones who are deciding where our church is going. When, when that gets, or a pastor begins to take and use the church's finance as though it were his or her personal checkbook, any one of those things can choke off the blessing of God and cause the giving to shrivel up. And when that happens, I'm telling you right now, it keeps a church from being the praise that God wants it to be in the earth. And there's such a balance to that, that when you have that principle, that supernatural, God can do miraculous things with it. It's just incredible. Uh, let me read you two scriptures that I think back up this idea of supernatural when it comes to fa uh, finances. One from the old and one from the new. Malachi 3, uh, 10 through 11. Look at this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the place where, where they would bring the grain, they would bring uh, whatever was, was grown, the wheat, whatever. They would bring it to the storehouse and then in the times where, like the winter time or the lean times, the people would go to the storehouse to be fed and to be taken care of. Spiritually speaking, so we're talking about the tithe and the storehouse, it's a spiritual principle. God is saying the tithe goes to your church, the place where you're being fed the place you're being protected. And if you go, well, I'm not being fed at that church, then get someplace where you are being fed. But if you go to this church, I think you go here. One of the reasons is you're fed here. You're protected here. You're watched over here. You're cared for here. So that's what you bring it to this. And everybody's competing for ministry dollars today, by the way, right? There's 10 million good things to give your money to. But this right here makes a decision and it, it gives a, a, a priority to where the tithe goes. It goes to your storehouse, which is your church, that place where you are fed, protected, spiritually shepherded, where you eat from, right? So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my storehouse. Test me. It's the only place. It's actually a sin to test God except when God makes an exception. And this is God. 
test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. A floodgate is the thing that holds back when, when a river swells, when a, when a lake gets too much water in it. A floodgate is what keeps it from just coming down and destroying a, a city, a town, a, a, you know, a houses. When a floodgate, when it gets so much water in it, a floodgate begins to open. Like at Chatfield, it has a floodgate. It begins to open, letting the water out so that it doesn't explode out. So here's what God is saying. Test me in this and watch if I won't open the floodgate of blessing so that it overwhelms and fills your life. That's what it means. And pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. One time, would you not love to have to say to God, please stop blessing me financially. Please, God, I have no more room for it. I've got no other place to put it. And that's the promise of this scripture. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. That's just simply saying, God will watch over even the timing things in your life, the things that you have no control over, God can control to keep things that, that are out of your control from happening so that you're just like, oh, how could this go wrong? How could this fall apart? How could this thing not work? God is saying, I will watch over those things. If you'll do this part, I'll watch over those things and it will work in your favor. One day of God's favor is worth a lifetime of your hard labor. That's what this promise is right here. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, 10 and 11. The apostle Paul writes this, he who supplies seed to the sower. So God gives seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Don't go to the next scripture. Nope, don't go. Stay there for a second. Okay, let's talk about this real quickly so that you understand. So the Bible tells us uh, when Jesus, he gives the parable of the sower. A sower is a person who takes seed and puts it in the ground. The resource that you have is called seed. And if you take all of your seed and eat all of your seed, you have no seed to put in the ground to sow. What is one seed worth once it begins to grow? It's never one to one. You put one apple seed in the ground, you get an apple tree, you get thousands, hundreds of thousands of apples over the life of the tree, each apple having dozens of seeds. One seed turns into hundreds, thousands, millions of seeds. But if you consume all your seed, if you take your money and you see it as just, hey, uh, this is for me to consume and not to think about anything else, and you eat it, you have no money to put in the ground, and then your prayer will always be, God, give me more, give me more. But here's a principle. If you take your more and you eat all of it all the time, God can't give you enough because you'll eat it all. You have a principle in your life where you eat all of your seed. God gives seed to the sower. God doesn't give seed to the consumer. Do you hear that? He gives seed to the sower. So he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed. If you learn the principle of sowing seed, this is what it says. God will begin to give you more. It's a test. It's all a test. 
If you will take the little bit that you have, because this is what will always, if I had more, I'd do it. What you do now is what you'll do then. It's a principle. So if you take just the little bit you have right now and put a little bit in the ground, right? If you can't put 10% in the ground, you can only do 2%, do 2%. Give God something to work with. Begin to put seed in the ground so that he can give you more seed to put in the ground. It's a test. And if you can't pass that test, you'll never get more seed. Okay, now we can go to the next part of the scripture. You will be enriched in every way. Every way, not just finances. What about being enriched in the relationship with your children, with your husband, with your wife, at your business? What about finding supernatural favor when you put your hand to different projects? What about finding a house at the right time, at the right, I've had that happen to me twice where the Lord has given me a house at the right time, at the right place, where it's suddenly, boom. And, and yeah, I, I'll stop. You can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. How awesome would that be in our lives? Do you have any desire for that? And if not, I would say your priorities have been, have been misaligned, uh, possibly by the enemy of your soul. All right, let me give you a recent story that happened. I asked permission to share this story. Uh, a man in our church, been here for a long period of time, friend of mine, um, uh, yeah, uh, 15 years, 15 years that, he, that he's been here, um, an encourager, um, his, he's, he's, uh, his family is here in this church. I've watched them. Um, God's just blessed them as they've been here in our church. They've found a home here, and I'm grateful uh, for that, for he and his wife and his, his children and his grandchildren. I'm, I'm grateful for them. But recently, um, in this year, the first of this year, he sent a note to me and uh, he said, pastor, um, I'm giving a certain amount of money and I just want you to know that uh, for the next several years, I'm gonna give this amount of money above and beyond my tithe and I want you to be able to use it for whatever projects that you have in the church. If you need to get carpet, if you wanna do some work in the foyer. By the way, when you come back, wait till you see what it looks like. We've been busy, busy. Okay, um, so, so uh, I, I'm gonna give you this money so that you can use it for projects that you have in the church or uh, a missions project or you need to help a, a widow, whatever you wanna do with it. That's wonderful. It's not unexpected for him. They're a very generous family. But <clears throat> there was something with this story that I thought, I wanna know the rest of the story. So I wrote him and I just said, hey, fill me in. Give me the backstory. What, why are you doing this? So let me, let me read to you what he wrote to me. A business that I was a minority owner in finally sold. Ever been there? Needing something to come through and it just gets delayed, it gets delayed, it gets delayed, it won't come through. This is what he said. I believe God was looking out for us because my family really needed that sale to happen. Because of that, I set up an account specifically for things that I offered to you for Jubilee from the initial proceeds from that sale as thanks and obedience to God. And here's the backstory. He had said to the Lord, if you will help us sell this building, I will take this much of the proceeds and I will give it to you through my church to be able to use for different projects. So once the building sold, and it took several years, once this business sold, he remembered the vow 
that he made to the Lord and he followed through on the vow that he made to the Lord. And that's what, just for a second, I wanna talk about. Why is this, why am I talking about this? Why would I bring this up? By the way, he's not the only one who does this, but it happened to be at a time where I'm writing the message and it fit in with this. Other people in our church do this, but it's not usual. It's unusual. It's unusual for it to be like this. So I want to highlight this and I wanna talk about this because I think there are four things. You might wanna write these down. I think there are four things that make this unusual and I don't think this should be unusual. I think this should be the normal thing that happens in believers' lives. And by the way, this sometimes, this separates followers from fans. Followers do the hard work. Fans love to just participate in the winning without actually ever having to invest themselves in the cause. Did you hear that? The difference between a follower and a fan. A follower's there to carry the load and be a part of it. A fan loves to participate without actually having to ever invest. They just want to reap the good without ever having to invest in the difficult. And so that should, that should not be unusual. That should be usual for believers. Okay, these four things. When it comes to this idea of a vow, right? Here's the first one. People forget. Here's the reason this is unusual, not usual. People all the time will pray prayers. God, if you do this, I'll do this. God, please bless me. And if you bless me, then God, I promise I'll do this. God, if you get me out of this jam. God, if you rescue me from this place. God, if you save my marriage. God, if you save my business. God, if you help me uh, in this situation. God, if you'll do this. God, I promise that I'm gonna do this for you. Uh, God, I promise I'm gonna be this person. God, I promise I'll be faithful with this. And sometimes that prayer doesn't get answered overnight. It takes time. And then when God, who is always faithful, never unfaithful, always faithful, it may take a year, it may take three years, it may take 10 years, but God is always faithful, but people forget. And so that when God fulfills the answer to the prayer, people tend to forget the words that they said to God. We should never forget when we make a vow. In fact, let me read to you a scripture that uh, this is Ecclesiastes chapter five, starting in verse four. Listen to these words. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin and don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger, that's the pastor. So listen, <laughs> don't defend yourself by telling the pastor that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry and he might wipe out everything you have achieved. Talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities. Instead, fear God and honor him. And that's a heavy duty scripture right there. We love John 3, 16, but we don't like Ecclesiastes chapter five. People forget. Here, here's the second one, right? When, when God fulfills uh, what you asked him for, when he blesses you, when he causes that thing to come, when you get a raise, when, when, when you have something significant happen, whatever it is, right? Um, the reason we can't fulfill our commitment to God is because we're leveraged. Can I just say it? So many of us, uh, money, 
uh, can add meaning, but it's not the meaning. And when you get that wrong and you make money, the meaning of life, the, the moment you cross over that line and you think you control money, the truth is money now controls you. And when something controls you, listen to me, you're a slave to that thing that controls you. If you have a habit, an addiction, a relationship, hmm. okay, hold on. And don't back up and put me at arm's length. Listen to me. When you cross that line and you're tempted to cross that line by thinking I can control that thing. The Bible says it's, it's like a trap that an animal steps in and steps out and steps in and steps out thinking. It, they're lured into the trap by thinking I can step into this and nothing will happen to me. And you'll do it half a dozen times, a dozen times. But all of a sudden, when you put your foot in it or you put your hand in it or your heart in it and the trap closes and you can't get out of it, you're a slave to that thing now. And it can happen in the financial realm. And when people, listen to me, people who love God, who will go to heaven when they die, this is not a heaven hell issue, but it feels like heaven and hell while you're living on this planet. You can love God and feel like your life is hell. And say, so how could that be? Pastor with me for one week and I will show you how that be. People who love God, but the enemy found a way to compete for their affection. And they thought, I can control this thing. And this is where I'm gonna find joy and the meaning of life. And they give themselves to that thing instead of to God. There cannot be two lords in your life. Jesus said, you'll serve money or you'll serve God, but you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said that. When you find yourself leveraged so that you can't do what you want to do, think about that. The reason that this message, the reason people will hold me at arm's length and get nervous when I teach about this is because it'll come to this point every time and someone's leveraged and you feel guilty and you feel bad. The enemy has his finger on you and you can't flip a switch, can you, to get out of it? So let's just ignore it and keep living our lives. And, and here's the deal. You'll live your whole life that way. And that's not how God wants you to live. Jesus promised abundant life, a life that's worth having. And this is an area, money is not, it, 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 it's not the meaning of life, but it can add meaning to your life. And getting this in the right priority is so important. Here's the third one. Uh, why don't people honor God with, with what they have? What, what keeps them from stepping into it? Fear. People have fear. Right now is a perfect example. We, we, we put our trust in a financial system that's not made up of God's system necessarily, right? And then when that system shakes or that system is locked down or that system melts down, we find ourselves full of fear, do you know, this is exactly what the Bible says. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound thinking. 
So anything that's robbing that from you shows you. It's not the proof that God is unfaithful. It's the proof that the enemy has lied to you and misled you. So a reason that sometimes we won't follow through on what God has told us to do with what he's given us, fear gets in the way. And the last one, people just simply didn't act on it within the window of time that you have to act on it. What do I mean by that? Every word of God comes with a shelf life. Okay, this is Pastor John's words. You won't find this in the Bible, Pastor John's words. Here's what I know at 56 and doing this, this is my only career I've ever had. This is it. I never had another career. I never, I didn't come into this after selling insurance or from the medical field. This is it. I'm a pastor my whole life. This is what God called me to do. And I've served him my whole life doing this. And so the only reason I even say that right now, I have an authority when it, I've done this my whole life. I've seen this with people. When you get a word from God, act on this thing. There's a shelf life. I, the shelf life might be an hour. It might be a day. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be six months. Although generally I'd say within a few days is usually what the shelf life is. If you don't act on it, here's what will happen. The urgency to do what the Holy Spirit told you to do will leave you. You'll have the memory that God spoke to you, but you will not have the reward of following through on doing what God told you to do. And then you'll be convinced that all of it is cerebral and that it's not really a kingdom that you can enter into in this world. And the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And you can have that power. You can have it in all areas of your life. Let me just conclude the message. Proverbs chapter 11, 24 and 25 is a life scripture. It's one of a half dozen life scriptures that I try to base my life on and live my life. This is a guide for me. This is what it says. Give freely and become wealthier. Be stingy and love everything. The generous will prosper I'm sorry, and lose everything. The generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So often we're praying, God, oh, I just wish you, you'd help me. I wish you'd take care of me. Do you know one of the easiest ways to have God take care of you, take care of somebody else? You want joy, give joy to somebody else. You want blessing, bless somebody else. The kingdom of God is not me, 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 me. The kingdom of God is him, 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 him. And think of how God is with us. God is always like this with us. He never stands like this. He never stands like this. He is like this with us all the time, isn't he? And the reflection, the, the greatest proof that he is your father is when you act like your father. Act like your father. My father's generous. My father loves unconditionally. My father is always there. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He's perfect. And the best reflection man I can give being a follower of my father is to live a life like my father. So my hands stay open like this. And I preach this look with authority and with boldness. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not trying to manipulate you for, I have no product that I'm selling. I have no, Hey, get my tapes and my books when this is over. It's not what I'm doing. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what the nature of this is. I'm trying to help you step into a place of blessing that is so wonderful. It's so powerful. It's so freeing. And I think this is what God's calling us. I think there's a breakthrough in this area that if our church could step into this, right? Boom. If our pastor, pastors, 
Don't think I'm talking to people in our church and you're exempted from this. Every pastor that listens to this message, you are just as accountable to this message as any person who sits in our church is accountable to this message. If we live by the generosity of God, then we must lead with the generosity of God. That's the truth of the matter right there. We can't allow messages, oh, that's for somebody else. No, 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 this was for all of us, for this preacher first, and then down through our church. All right, Father, love you, bless you, and thank you for the opportunity to, to, to talk to our church, to spend time, Lord. Ah, I love, I love my church, God. I love your people. I love being able to teach, Father, I love it. And I thank you for the opportunity to do that. God, would you bless us in this area? Would you help us in this area? Father, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Listen to me. It's so easy to turn this message off and say, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Don't do that. Ask God right now, help me break this curse. Break this this wrong principle. Break this competition for who's the Lord of my life. Ask God to sit on the throne of your life and then as he gives you opportunity, make decisions. You can't, you, you can't run a marathon. You start, <laughs> take a step. If you're gonna run a marathon, don't line up with the Kenyans, right? Line up behind Pastor John. I could never run a marathon, but I can make it to my car. You can do that too. You can find a starting place to go. And so man, I just, no condemnation. And for those of you who hear this message and God reminds you of a promise, of a vow, of something you said, I challenge you right now. Don't let, this, this might be a renewal of a word that has a very short shelf life. Act on this right now. Be bold and act on this. Why? Because on the other side of obedience is breakthrough. I'm gonna say it one more time. On the other side of obedience is breakthrough. We're always looking for the breakthrough. Obedience is generally the instruction and then breakthrough. So I challenge you right now. And for all of you, man, I just bring you together the abundance of God. He calls us to abundant life. John 10, 10, I came to bring life and not just any life, but abundant life. He wants that for you. I seal that for you. I attach that to you and I pronounce his favor on you in Jesus name. Amen.